Uh, Ethan Hawke's kind of a dirty hippie, so I can see where that comes from, but maybe he kind of enjoyed the relative pseudo-anonymity. I'm not sure that Gen X, no. Definitely Gen X knows <laughs> he's like the Gen X poster boy, but I don't think Gen Z walks down the street and is like, oh, you're from the Black Phone, you're Ethan Hawke. I don't think this is the one, and I think he likes that. Mm, okay. So why did he take the role for the Black Phone? Was this like a Jason Blum favor? Yeah, not only that, but the director that he likes working with, who directed him in Sinister. And I didn't know it before I watched it, but I do very much like Scott Derrickson's The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And so I, when I found that, I was like, okay, cool. I'll watch this movie, sure. And I like Ethan Hawke. Okay. As weird as his roles have been lately, <clears throat> The Northman. Right. He was the king in The Northman. Which was scarier, The Black Phone <laughs> or The Northman? Uh, scarier? I don't know. May I don't know. Maybe... The Northman, in a way, you know, <laughs> I was at least gripped a little bit more by the imagery. In The Northman. You know what was scarier than The Black Phone? Uh, the Viking with braces <laughs> in The Northman. No, almost falling down my stairs. Just now? <laughs> so after I watched, the the day or so after I watched The Black Phone, I was preparing for this review and like looking at random stuff on my phone as I was mounting my spiral staircase. Yes. And about five steps up, I lost my balance and fell backwards and just grabbed the rope banister at like the last second to avoid completely breaking my body. So it paid off that rope banister, which didn't exist before, because you know how you walk into a house. Remember when the, the cops walked into the basement of the house across the street unknowingly, like it was a misdirect. And there he, they took one look at the basement floor and they're like, this is where he hides the bodies. This is where he buries the bodies. <laughs> You walk into right, your house, six mounds. yeah, and you're like, well, that's a death staircase. <laughs> the death spiral? Yep. We just added another death staircase, too, below the house. Ah, so you're just going to keep falling for all eternity? <laughs> you take a spill <laughs> and you, from the top floor, and then you wake up in the basement? Or your ghost wakes <laughs> up in the basement? Uh, I seriously would have broken my arm. But instead, I just grabbed the rope and kind of swung <laughs> and, like, skinned my arm on the center pole thing and then fell. No one was around to see it, right? You would have just been, you would have bled it out was, on your own. Uh, <laughs> it was awful. No, the girls were, the girls had just gone down to sleep and then they all, like, came bursting out of their bedrooms and they were like, are you okay, mommy? <laughs> I, like, screamed and everything. <laughs> Was it like a triumphant Tarzan slash Indiana Jones swing? On, on, on... No, I, th <laughs> I was so embarrassed about it because I thought about it afterward. And it was a full on like mom panic scream. Like, no. <laughs> so you're just like, no, it's OK. I saw a spider. <laughs> no, I was just like, no, I almost fell. But this is just a reminder of why we're always careful on the stairs, right? We never play on the stairs. Oh, man. Good job. As a mom turning <laughs> into a lesson, way to go. It was terrifying. And the black phone, not so much. Not so much. Creepy, atmospheric-y. Man, you know what was terrifying? You're big on opening scenes, man. Little League. That's what's terrifying. Extended Little League segment and Stranger Things style bike riding. All nostalgic like. Yeah. And idyllic seeming. What other Little League turns into that? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Quiet Place 2. Uh, Quiet Place 2, yes. There's a, some Little League stuff in Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep with that horrible screaming kid. I must have, I must have blacked this blacked this out. <laughs> he blacked it out as a mom. So the opening title sequence was pretty good. It was sort of nostalgic and, and revealed the wildness of being a kid in the 70s and the inherent danger and stuff. 
But what really bugged me right off the bat for that first shot is all those baseballs were CG and distractingly so. Did you note this? No. Oh, why? every pitch was a fake baseball. Uh, the one he lobbed over the pitcher's head when he connected, it was a fake baseball yeah. over the fence. And I was like, what is this? Said a bad tone, man. I did notice that the second pitch was like a too perfect strike. It was whack. And so we get, we you know, we're trying to get clues or whatever and figure out what this movie is. Because there's a real value, particularly for horror movies. You know, when there's the, the scare factor and the uncertainty of the unknown. that We don't know what's happening. And I'm like, okay, what's this movie going to be about? Baseball so far. And you take one look at Jeremy Davies as the dad and you're like, he is 100% a black van abductor dude. <laughs> And he wasn't. He was just a Stephen King level whack job. Like where where all all the parents are whack jobs. <laughs> That's a great yeah. Like Stephen King, it follows level bad parenting. <laughs> and you know why, right? Why the black phone based on a short story by Joe Hill, none other than the offspring of Stephen King. Oh. His name's Joe Hill? I don't know if it's a dis a trying to disassociate from his father and his fame or whatever, but that's the name he goes by and he's an author. And as hmm. much as it's separated and he is not his father, man, was this a Stephen King feeling film. It was just like, there's like dead MacGuffins all over the place. And if you need to figure it out, a dead person's going to communicate with you and tell you about it and stuff. There's also kind of a laziness and like an aggressiveness. We always use this expression on rails, but I don't really know what it means. It knows what it is and it's not ashamed at being kind of lazy and it just goes for it. <laughs> you telling Does me. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. If you know where this train is headed and, you know, to this kind of movie, yeah, it doesn't. Just on rails is just, it's a not, it's nonstop and it has a direction that doesn't deviate at all from, I think it just kind of, yeah, just barrels through without really much space to pause or breathe and i think that this movie it, well it wasn't like relentless or anything because at times i was kind of thoroughly bored i was like okay here's another phone call it's expo it's dead exposition dead position or or whatever and, and i was trying to piece it together and i was like i don't know that there's significance to any of this it's just like we have to make a connection and then ultimately he's going to create in his mind or the dead kids are going to help him to create like a murder Rube Goldberg that he can use against the grabber to escape <laughs> in the end. No, all of those tips were like their own dead ends. The first one was dig a hole and get out the other side. Yeah, to, which... to clarify, he said, I dug a hole but didn't have time. Where? Where's the hole? Other kid, I pulled a wire out from the baseboard there by the floor and the wall. Where? He didn't pull a wire out. Finney did it. Finney's the one who tore up the tile and started the hole. That's true. And also each of those tips were dead ends. He gets to the freezer, but he can't get out. Yeah. He digs the hole, but nothing comes of it. He uses the wire to open the window. Yeah, try to pull the bars off the window, which he did, by the way, successfully. Ethan Hawke as the grabber is the worst abductor I've ever seen. It was sheer luck that that didn't that kid didn't escape six times. He's like, look what you did to my arm with your really sharp Apollo booster rocket flashlight sharp thing. You better hang on to that in case you need that. I'm not going to take that away. Here's your <laughs> breakfast with a glass bottle that I'm just going to leave all over the place. Hope you don't stab me with it. You know, here's a phone cord and I hope you don't choke me with that wire as I come through the door one day. And and so when it came time to when the kid was like 
fill the phone with dirt, heavy, fatal dirt. He was like, okay, not use the heavy ceramic lid, the porcelain lid of the toilet tank, not use the- Like all room style? The the metal bars from the window, all the cords and stuff, none of that. No broken bottles, no murder Apollo flashlight, nothing. It's more poetic if you beat him down with the phone. And that's my concern. Is My concern is that the phone is there. It's like the biggest MacGuffin that ever was. And the black phone was just kind of conveniently putting stuff together while all the time it's like, here's a loose end. Here's a loose end. And you're like, what is happening? And then all the loose ends come together and they're like, it's profound, right? And you're like, no. It was random and spacing out the you know the method of his escape so they can put together this this communal like escape plan for Finney because he's special just kind of falls short. I'm afraid that the people who love this movie are like, you know what else? This is my second favorite horror movie. You know what my favorite one is? Donnie Darko. That was deep, bruh. Donnie Darko's kind of deep, bruh. Is, is it though? Is it really? Or is it rando? I actually don't think that the black phone was attempting to be deep. I think it was attempting to be clever. And you can't really explain how Finney gets the code other than through hearing dead people. Yeah, and the supernatural thing is is a convenience. The idea that it was that he was hearing from all these kids or whatever Coraline style that were helping to affect his escape. It was a little bit Silence of the Lambsy. It was a little bit it. It was a little bit Stranger Things this supernatural bent it just it's just convenient it's like the scary version of x-man powers it was a little bit sixth sense that both the kids are like they hear dead people right and like the dad's all torn because he like his whole family like he lost his wife because she was driven mad by dead people so she so he decides to beat his children don't you isn't it really hard to recover from a scene after having beat your children like yeah. do you ever trust him when he's like i love you no You're and, like, and, and no, worse Dad. worse than the idea that you can justify your kids by whipping them with your belt is when he's like no ice on that bottom you have to learn from your mistakes or whatever it's like man that's sadism <laughs> did he really call it a bottom yeah no ice on that bottom I think that that was the most graphic violence that we got in all of the dead phone, the black phone, because when you say that the, the grabber phone. is like is bad and lazy and like un observant, like the grabber is also not violent at all. Like he's all talk and no molestation. Well, yeah, he gets hella killed by a kid. And it's no wonder. I don't even think after growing up with that dad, I don't think Finney is going to need counseling after murdering his abductor. Like you'd think he'd be traumatized. And you'd think his, his biggest problem is confidence. And Gwen is like ultra violent and beating that kid and swearing at him and stuff. Yeah, all the all the younger sisters always have to be plucky, <laughs> but they also all like naturally are because they grow up with all the brothers. Yep, true story, man. But not that he was plucky. He he was. She did Gwen grow up plucky just because she had an older brother because he wasn't very tough. As opposed to myself, I was extremely tough and resilient, which is where you got your right. pluckiness from. I don't know about that. I think maybe, I mean, you have to throw down, but like you're a, more like an eyeball gouger than like a confident like fist fighter. I'm also a hair puller. How dare you? But Finney won't stand up. Has Finney has no confidence when it comes to the bullies at school, but then suddenly he never cries. 
or is afraid of the grabber. Yeah. And he's abducted by the grabber. Actually, he does cry like once at the very end. Uh, but he spends like a week with the grabber without crying or getting scared pretty much at all. At all. Well, yeah, that's because he hung out with Robin. And Robin is what carried him through. And that kid got tough because you got to get tough if you have a name like Robin or you're going to get your ass beat. And that was my favorite part of the black phone. Robin was Octavio, or sorry, Octavio, from our street. And Robin was the little Mexican dude who, no matter what, any scrap or any confrontation, he fights for God and family, and he will mess you up. I firmly believe that if you threw, <laughs> back in the day in high school, if you threw Octavio in the ring with Mike Tyson, he'd lose, but he would keep getting up. And Mike would back down and be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Because Robin was hella scrappy. And the scariest part is the idea that if the grabber can best Robin, then Finney doesn't stand a chance. Right. Therein lies the horror of the black phone. Right? I mean, he was so tough and scrappy and could take down that dude that was infinitely larger than him. And I thought, man, that's real. Um, I also didn't quite understand how, why everybody who was abducted was someone that Finn knew. Maybe not intimately. He's like, I remember you. You scared me once. But still, he knew everybody. And I wonder if this was all to piece together this kind of communal, like, let's get Finney out of here at the end because he's going to be the one to carry on our memory. Yeah, not only did he know everybody, but the filmmakers went to great pains to make sure that we knew that he knew everybody by giving us that flashback in the liquor store. Lots of them. Yeah, that was the, the kid that he had the most tenuous connection with, right? Right, which is why they had to, you know, reinforce that he was a formidable kid, but he still got taken out by the grabber. Yep, the tagline for the black phone is don't talk to strangers. And that's kind of all Finney did. As much as he knew those kids, he didn't really know them. He just like played baseball with them and got scared by them. All he did was talk and to strangers. And then talk to them on the phone. <laughs> yeah, who helped him out the whole time. Maybe there was just like some nostalgia for when we used to talk on phones to friends. Oh, definitely Which we that. like, we don't do anymore. Now we just text. Yeah, the director talked about the, the movie that Finn was watching. Finney was watching was uh, a scene from The Tingler. And the director said that was like the moment that made me love and want to make horror movies. It scared the bejesus out of me. The hand coming out of the bathtub. So he's like, I thought I'd put that in the movie. It's definitely, it's all about putting on screen the things that scared him the most. Because uh, he, I think he knew somebody that got abducted or something. That's awful. Yeah, when I told Brian the premise of the Black Phone, he's like, how dare Wesley suggest you watch that? You know you can't watch those kind of movies, right? Like the moment I talk about child abduction or abuse, he didn't even want to watch The Lost Daughter because he was afraid it was about child abduction. See, I watched this one by myself, and I have to vet these movies, uh, scary movies, before Kelly watches them. Because there, I made her watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and she still hasn't forgiven me for that. It's been over a year. Um, that, by the way, was the mark that you can uh, pick up on to determine when this movie was set. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is in theater, and that means 1974. Oh, you mean in case you missed the lower third? Was there that one? Because like... the title was kind of obscure, too. <laughs> it was like, da 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 na 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 the black phone, lower right hand, lower third. And uh, I didn't see the year. So that makes sense. But I did my own digging, as it were. Get it? Digging? That doesn't really correlate. But they did some digging in this movie. Um, I guess. Gwen did psychic digging. And there was actual digging. And the grabber dug graves. They were like moundy graves. Like, why yeah. do you put the mound? Why do you put the extra mound right on top? Like, is it, gonna, is it supposed to sink in? Yeah. It settles over time. 
Um, very sounds of the Lambsy, where they did the weird thing where they go to save him and he's not actually in that house. I think at that point the grabber was already dead. But, uh, you know, you break into the house and you're like, he's right here. And they go in and they're like, he's not here. The house is empty. And you're like, what? And that's the exact same thing that uh, sounds of the Lambs did. I was definitely worried that Finney got pulled into a time warp where, like, the past and the present merge, but really he was already dead, and that's why he could hear dead people. See, it could have been. <laughs> really, it, I went deep. It might as well have been, and then he just, like, saves his sister from beyond the grave or something. Yeah, basically. She, like, has the vision and, like, busts into the house trying to save him, and he's already dead, but, like, grabs the grabber as he's the grabber's trying to grab Gwen. It might have been a more interesting story. Let's talk a little bit more about Octavio. He was a really nice guy. Yeah, he was a great guy. I'm saying that because he was a great guy, when I got in trouble and looked for two years solid like I was going to get my ass beat, I would just cling to Octavio. I would run to him and walk next to him because wasn't nobody messing with me if I was walking next to Octavio. Aw, which makes it a really appropriate parallel with Robin, who was also kind of a nice dude. Right. You know, looking out for Finney and, like, standing up against the bullies for Finney. Yep, unfortunately came to a sad end. And then was Octavio like, so um, can you come over after school and we can do some math homework? No, not at all. Octavio had his own things going on or whatever. And so what I would do is like walk home with him. And as you know, he's like, what, three or four houses down from mom and dad. And then once he went into his house, I'd play it cool and be like, all right, man, see you later. He'd go into his house and I would like run as fast as I could to mom and dad's house. Aww. Yeah, being a kid is terrible. It was terrible when I did it. This would have been, you know, in the late 80s and 1974, I imagine would have been horrible. Yeah, but what did Finney, what what did those kids have against Finney? Nothing. Bullies in the 70s and 80s don't need reasons. If they're smaller than you and you can make yourself bigger by picking on someone who is smaller, you do. Mercilessly. It's a good thing because he was a cute kid and all. It's a good thing he wasn't chunky or didn't have glasses or anything like that because, man. Then he'd really be in for it. If you have glasses and you're bullied, the first thing they do is take off the glasses, put them on, and be like, dude, you're blind, and then throw them on the ground and step on them. Awful. So why does he, <laughs> why does the, why does the grabber use balloons? That's his, his, uh, his calling card or whatever. Like the, the people of Gotham look up and they're like, the black balloons are in the sky. Another child has gone astray. He's like a Batman villain. So, <laughs> and so the balloons are supposed to obscure and disorient the child while he while he gets pushes them into his van? I guess so. This must have been a different time along with It. I think It technically took place, the Stephen King book took place in the 50s where people were still into clowns. And in fact, in Joe Hill's story, the grabber was a clown. And for the movie, they made him a magician. And I have to think that in a post-It world, the Andy Muschietti uh, It, the movies, the most recent movies, no kids <laughs> trust clowns anymore. Anymore. No, and and viewers, I don't know. Clown was maybe too on the nose. Get it? No, that's that was pretty oh. weak. But still, walk, walk, walk. They definitely changed it from clown to magician. And I guess magicians have balloons, and clowns have balloons. I don't know. Is there anybody been going to Party City and filling up the murder balloons? No, he must have a tank. Who's been buying? Who's been purchasing and refilling helium tanks? And that's how they track him down. Who drives a humongous black van that's always skidding around the city? Metallica fans. <laughs> uh, and then what was the whole deal with the brother? What brother? The brother that is like a armchair detective and like finally oh. zeroes in on the grabber as being his 
brother. Max, who, yeah. I guess lives below him, or yeah. Max was just a, another misdirect. He was the true crime aficionado, kind of cracked the case. Like police don't believe him anyway, kind of dude. We were just like meant to think, you know, oh Max, maybe we'll help solve the case, and we go whoosh through his floor, and there's Finney down there. I'm like saying he's, un- he's literally under his nose. It just exactly, and it just leads me again to the idea that the grabber is the worst grabber ever in the history of abductions. <laughs> but he apparently he was crafty enough to like be the grabber with his brother, and have the grabber holding area in this basement that I guess the brother never knew existed. He was cunning enough to last until the end of the movie, <laughs> but it's a house of cards. Meaning if you pull one out, they all collapse. Yeah. Well, I meant like Kevin Spacey, who is another House of Cards grabber of young boys. Ew. Man. See how I did that? Wow. No. Yes. But no. (laughs) I honestly felt like for the majority of this movie, I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. And it looks right. It looks, you know, it's scary. And I like Ethan Hawke very much. And it had the whole creepy basement vibe and the abductor van and, and all the stuff and the little montages of the child missing child posters. But it was all aesthetic and empty aesthetic. I was like, when are you going to grab, <laughs> when are you going to grab me, grabber movie? Oh, they're so bad. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can see that. It had all of the kind of constituent parts, but when you, it's not a, not a movie that is more than the sum of its parts kind of a thing. He's like, I'm gonna leave the door open, leave this kid with all the weapons, and then go to sleep. Well, that's, <laughs> but that's Finney being a very naughty boy, or not a naughty boy. Finney is supposed to fall into his trap because the grabber has some kind of code where he can't like beat on or molest children if they're not naughty. Uh, I, I, and because Finney doesn't come out of the basement, then he can't beat him. I vaguely remember that. But also when Finney does come out of the basement, I mean, I get it. You go to the back door and you have the combination in your head. But he had the courage to stand in front of the grabber for like 30 seconds. If you have the courage to do that, you have the courage to stick him in the neck with your Apollo flashlight. And if not, you're in the kitchen. He's got knives and junk. You grab a weapon and then go for the combo lock. At the very least, you arm yourself before you go into the figuring out the, the lock. And blah, blah, blah. Hindsight is twenty twenty. But I was that kid. I almost got abducted myself. First thing you do what? is grab a weapon and then you stab with impunity. He, I mean, Finney wasn't a murderer, but it's true that he could have at least like maimed or wounded the grabber before trying to get to he the lock. He killed I mean, him. At the end in self-defense. Yeah, in his with his Robin Ariana courage, he choked him to death. And he knew the second the neck snapped that he was good and dead like he had done it before. And he got up and walked away. See, what the kids did is some of them had their necks broken and they communicated to him. When you hear the crunch and you feel the body go slack, that's when you know your enemy is bested. <laughs> When were you almost abducted? A long time ago, I was two buildings away from mom and dad's, the one with the red brick and the little entryway thing. As a little kid, I was probably no more than eight, maybe seven. Black van pulls into the driveway all purposefully, comes to a screeching halt. The door slides open. A guy steps out of the passenger seat and like rushes towards me with his hands outstretched. But he was in my hood. And in my hood, I know the ins and outs of every bush and every secret passageway. So I rolled backwards off of the the bricks into the bushes and ran through the bushes to the little side walkway, jumped down and ran away. And I kept running because I thought I was in trouble. 
or something. And it didn't dawn on me that I almost got abducted until many, many years later. Ew. Yep. He rushed at you with his arms outstretched? Yeah. He was coming to grab me. And in my seven-year-old brain, I was like, adult, trying to grab me. I'm in trouble. And I ran away. Don't you play it cool and be like, hey, kid, you want some candy? No. For all he knew, he had me in a corner. But we played in those bushes. The like front area was basically a giant planter. And I just ran behind all the trees and jumped down into the walkway. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. So is this whole movie kind of a cheat? I felt like it was fairly pedestrian, fairly straightforward and not altogether engaging. And, you know, you know I kind of knew what was going to happen. And so maybe the tensest moment of the whole thing was him trying to climb the window and grab that latch or whatever he was trying to do. And the music all is all stirring. And you're like, oh, my God, is he going to do it? And then he fell down on the thing. And I liked Octavio. And that was kind of it. He, I really thought he was going to make it out of the window. Right? I'm not sure why he gave up on that. Why did he give up on that? I have no idea. He climbs into the back of the freezer, and they're like, we have a freezer. We've got to put something in there. What do you put in the freezer? Steaks. And they're like, okay, here's a fake-looking steak that's not wrapped in anything. He had like a pile of T-bones <laughs> in the freezer, which helped out later because the T-bones, see what it did? It distracted the dog. It all comes together. It's a little bit all of a cheat, and that's why it surprises me that it's based on Joe Hill's source material, because it feels like a horror film by the numbers. You do, and and I mean that literally by the numbers, because <laughs> you talk about how, like, there's the Apple algorithm. Well, I think there's, like, the Blumhouse paint by numbers. Yep. The magic equation where they're like, okay, we can shoot this for $18 million <laughs> in one room, and then we can make $20 million on the opening weekend, and then we can make $100 million worldwide. Man, Actually, no, they out. made $157 million worldwide. And you think, actually, this movie makes a ton of sense. Jason Blum is the hustler for low-budget horror movies in making them seem highbrow. We know that he can do dread because I was personally hella thrilled by the, the Invisible Man, which was like a floaty knife and like frames full of nothing. And that was incredible. I didn't feel any of that for the black phone, I'm sorry to say. Unfortunately. And so your official rating is? Whatever, dude. I don't know. It was fine. It did. It almost made me mad at some times, but I like Ethan Hawke. I thought the kids were good enough for this 70s slash 80s kind of feel where little kids riding around on their bikes and stuff and getting abducted. I think the black phone was trying to get at some horror that we've all experienced for the last two years with wearing masks <laughs> and like the monsters that it makes us in our hearts or something like that. But I all like like my analogy falls apart. Thus does the black phone. <laughs> 81% dude, Rotten Tomatoes. We're missing something here. Something about it worked enough for it to make the programming list for Halloween 2022 here on Or Whatever Movies. So there you have it. You got a whatever from Wes and a boring from Iris. That's our discussion on the black phone. Check out our other Halloween releases at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you for following us on social media at or whatever movies. And thank you for reaching out to us at or whatever movies at gmail.com 818-835-0473. And we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, 
and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab, an electric cast production. See you there. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.